My fellow warriors. I promise. I promise. I promise. I promise. I promise to be of service to you. 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 And to allow you. To allow you to be of service to me. To be of service to me. And to allow you to be of service to me. And I will allow you to be of service to me. Until both you and I defeat this demon that assails us. Until both you Until and both I you successfully defeat and this demon I successfully defeat this demon that assails us. Successfully defeat this demon that assails us. Successfully defeat this demon that assails us. I have been given the tools to win. 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 I have all the tools that I need to win this week, and I will win. And I. I have been given the tools to win. And I will win. And I will win. And I will win. We are here to tell you you are not alone. You are not broken. You have not gone too far in the wrong direction. You just tried a different path. And somewhere along that path, you lost a part of yourself. And that addiction, that trauma, that pain came in and it filled the gap. And you had to learn the hard way. You had to grow through adversity. You had to fight to find out who you really are and what you really believe in. See, real change is not about going back. Back there, there are only old habits and hidden pain. Your change comes in the direction you choose to face. So right now, choose to win. Wipe those tears of defeat from your face and get up. We need you. So don't you quit. Don't you dare quit. You keep going. One step at a time, you make that climb and you do it for you. You do it because you are worth fighting for. And one day you're going to look in the mirror and you're going to smile and love the person you see because you will be the person God always intended you to be, a better you, a recovered you. Hello, my friends, and welcome to another episode of Recovering You. I'm your host, Cameron Harrison, and I am joined today by a good friend of mine, Luke Gordon. So bit of a backstory. We're just jumping right into this bit of backstory with Luke. When I first got into my uh, recovery program and into the groups and stuff, we ended up moving to Las Vegas uh, just a few months after I started my recovery. Well, let me rephrase that. I moved to Las Vegas alone while my wife stayed back in Utah because uh, at that time we were separated. She did not want to come with me, but we did have to have an income. So I moved for work. Uh, she stayed back. And uh, I ended up finding, and th th this is actually a cool story. There are two places. Uh, I tried to make it three, but there are currently two places where in-person men's groups through the Men in Moroni program can be, can be found. They are where I was living in Utah and where I moved to in Las Vegas in the entire country. Now, if that's not serendipitous or <laughs> just complete uh, guidance, from God. I, I don't know what is because I mean, it, it kind of blows my mind that um, talking to Cody Haas and being like, I, I, I really don't want to leave my group. And he's like, where are you moving? I was like, Las Vegas. He's like, no, it just so happens. Uh, there is a group there. It's led by a guy named Luke Gordon. He gave me his information. I reached out to him and he welcomed me with open arms. And it was just it was an awesome experience. And it was uh, probably where the greatest amount of growth over that next year happened. And uh, even though Luke kind of actually faded out of that scene and went on to bigger and better things, um, it's it was because of Luke and uh, the other mentor there that because of 
you know, HIPAA and stuff like that. I won't mention his name, but because of the other mentor there, I decided, you know what, this is, this is something I want to do. I don't just want to come to the meetings. I want to be the difference. I want to be, I, I want to host these men that are seeking to better their lives and to, to make a real difference. So then we moved here to Phoenix. Turns out they've been wanting to start a program here. I, I tried starting it. COVID made things really difficult. We're going to try again in the future, but that's just kind of where things stand as of right now. And uh, a little bit of a backstory of where I know you from Luke. Uh, and dude, you are, you are a busy guy and well, we're, we're both pretty busy guys, but I'm just so grateful that you were able to find time to come on to the show today. Yeah. I'm glad we were able to make it work. I'm looking forward to being here with you. And I know it must, uh, it must be supposed to happen because of all the challenges we've had actually getting together. So <laughs> It's been like, like two two months worth of trying. Looking for something good to come out of it. Oh yeah, there there better be. <laughs> right. You got you got some big guns ready to ready to pull out for this battle. Um. All right, so Luke, you have uh, I mean the 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 cool thing about a lot of these mentors and the and the guys that go to these groups and people that become mentors and where you've gotten to most of them don't just, you know, uh, they're going to high school or college. Like, you know what? I really want to help recovering addicts that that's what I want to do. And they go into it with zero experience, zero struggles of their own. This, this kind of life path typically occurs from someone who has been through their own personal hell, their own personal Gethsemane, where they have, they have suffered greatly. Others have suffered at the, at the cause of them, and they don't want that to happen in their lives or others' lives anymore. So they step into the role of, okay, what can I do to make a difference now? I'll, I'll get my license to be a therapist. I will mentor. I will start a business, whatever it may be. But that's what's so kind of just awesome about recovery is it, it's more than just um, a hobby. It's more than even just a lifestyle change. It is a, uh, it's a passion. It, it really does become this ingrained passion, like deep within you that you're like, no, this is something so far beyond what even like, I like doing it or it's fun for me. No, it's like, I'm being called to it. It's almost what it seems like. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. I think for me, oh, going in the- um, spending time with men that are talking about real stuff was something that I recognized early in my journey I needed. And once I recognized that, um, that once I could get real with those around me and I wasn't actually feeling disconnection because as I shared my real, they didn't run away or they still wanted to be around me. It, I don't addictive is probably an inappropriate word to use to describe it. <laughs> I love it. Yeah. You know, I love sitting across the table from another man sitting in this podcast with you and just talking about real stuff. In fact, the I've always been like the, how's the weather today? How are you doing? It, it's kind of almost a little bit annoying to me and I don't know <laughs> why. I don't know what's wrong with me in, in that part. But I, the, the real stuff, it's what I love talking about. And that's what this world is, you know, yeah, go ahead. I I was just going to say that there really is kind of this, um, euphoria when, when you have a real honest, like vulnerable conversation with another guy, like all of a sudden there's this connection that 
it, you're like, whoa, that was like, that was powerful. Like I, and, and like you said, you know, addiction is not the right term, but it draws you in to want more of it to be like, okay, being real is actually a really cool experience. Like, sure. so, and then to, uh, to see other people go through that or to be a part of the first time that they're like, I've never told my story before. And then like this powerful story of what they've been through unleashes and it affects everyone in the room listening to it dude it's just it's amazing that's beautiful beautiful and the amount of courage it takes to show up and and share your real and i've been on the other end of hundreds and hundreds of conversations of men sharing things they've never shared with anybody and it is the most sacred beautiful experience ever and they go into it thinking um and don't get me wrong it's hard for them and it was hard for me but there's this sense of closeness. There's this intimacy um, emotionally that happens that is just so, t- it feels so good, tastes so good. And uh, it's, you know, it's it's acquired some, but that's, I mean, humans are hardwired for connection, but we yeah. also live in fear of disconnection. So it keeps us from the real. Yeah. Um, I, I, I completely agree. And before we jump into kind of your backstory and kind of what you went through, uh, I just, I, I had a thought that I think is just, it's one, it's one of my favorite, my favorite things to talk to people about. Um, when people talk about, you know, why they love the scriptures, what do we love so much about the scriptures? Like what, what, why do we love the story so much? And typically the stories we love are those of change of repentance, of redemption, of, you know, those, the Alma, the younger, the sons of Mosiah, um, you know, the people that go through hard trials, like, like Job, uh, people that are asked to do really hard things like Abraham and Isaac, you know, like when, when we hear these stories, that's what we're, we're so gravitated toward and they influence us so deeply. And what people I think don't realize is, um, and especially people that have never been through a recovery type program, when I sit down in a group with some of these men, it dawns on me time and time again, I'm listening to modern day miracles. I'm listening to modern day retellings of uh, Alma the Younger and being being in rebellion against God, against myself, against my values, and then almost hitting that rock bottom or being struck by the spirit to the point where it's like, if I don't change... I'm going to lose everything. Yeah. And so that passionate resurgence of not only am I going to change, but I'm going to be an impact on the lives around me, dude, to, to, to sit there and to see these men live these scriptural experiences. That is something that is, it's intoxicating. It's amazing. For sure. Absolutely. Intoxicating is a good way to describe it. Yeah. So, so anyway, but tell us a little bit about, um, I mean, how you got to where you are, like what, what was your experience and why was it so impactful? What did you do to, uh, what, what did you lose that, uh, you know, to whatever addiction or whatever problems you had and how did you come back from that? Um, let's see when you, when you said, what did I lose? Um, at a very early age, I think, um, I don't know if I ever lost this, but this is the, this is what went through my mind when you asked, what did you lose from the very early age? Uh, I was the oldest of five. Um, my mom, uh, my mom had me when she was 17. My dad was 20. Um, you know, they, they're still married today. I believe they have a very strong connected relationship, but I was, you know, uh, an infant being raised by a teenager and two teenagers. 
Right. So I think the environment which I grew up in, um, my ability to be able to understand emotions and recognize things that from a development standpoint that I needed to get uh, didn't happen a lot of my age. And I remember one of the things that I was observed and was taught when I was younger is that I have the ability to be able to control other people's feelings. I'll give you an example. So my father, uh, sometimes I remember my mom would say, hey, guys, just got a phone with your dad. He's coming home from work and let's get the house cleaned up. Um, you know, let's make sure we're kind of quiet because when dad gets home, he's had a hard day. You know, and I was taught that that was love to clean up the house and to be quiet. Sure. But really what I learned was I was responsible for other people's feelings. Hmm. That I had control of other people's feelings. Because if I cleaned up the house properly and was quiet enough, my dad would be able to feel better at the end of our day. That's a really heavy thing to put on a four-year-old or a six-year-old. And now I'm feeling a little bit guilty for me uh, asking the, to get the house clean. So when mom um, comes back from her time out, that she'll come home to a clean house and feel better. Wow. Okay. Yeah. So so I took that and I and I and the problem was is I got it mixed up and created a perfect cocktail of you're in charge of other people's feelings. And the other one, the other part I did is, is in order for you to, in order for people to be happy with you, you have to not make mistakes. Okay. Mm -hmm. And if you make a mistake, um, don't make it again. If you learn once, you, you, that's, that's the time you need to, that's the amount of times you need to learn. Fool me once, and, shame on, shame on you. Fool me twice. Yeah. yeah. That kind of stuff. Right. Yeah. So if you take that cocktail of, of you're in control of other people's feelings and be perfect, um, I was not set up for failure. Now I'll add just something else to the cocktail, which was, I remember like, there's things that I've seen in the movies, like little rascals where they have like the he-man woman haters club. And you know, at a little age, you think girls have cooties. I never experienced that ever. Yeah. I remember being attracted to the opposite sex from the earliest stages I can possibly remember in my life. Same. Little guy just being like, I don't know what those people are, those humans, but I like them. Yeah. <laughs> I like them. And, and just, but also knowing like at some level, like something's wrong with me for liking them, like not being able to express out loud that I like them. Um, and I don't know where that came from, but I was very ashamed of, what I'm going to call just my sexual template. Okay. My ability to be able to have sexual feelings or, or even attracted feelings and feeling like something was wrong with me. Okay. Yeah. So you take all three of those things. I was not set up for success. So I got into my, you know, my stages of sexual maturity, you know, puberty, whatever you want to call it, where all of a sudden it takes on new power and new meaning mm -hmm. and just, you know, uh, I remember, I remember that one of the first things that happened was going over to a friend's house um, over the weekend, or just for a sleepover, and watching um, a rated R movie, Pretty Woman, and being like, "Whoa!" Like that was so. I don't even know the word to describe other than captivating. Other than that's all I want to think about. And what more is there about all of that? Yeah, and. And what happened is as soon as I found out the, as soon as somebody told on me that I watched that movie with my friends, I got grounded for the whole summer. Wow. The whole summer I got grounded. And by the way, it feels like I'm putting 
I even feel this, like I'm putting a lot of blame on my parents right now. Uh I'm not wanting to do that. I'm not wanting to do the blame game. What I'm trying to do is I'm trying to do the name game right now, which is what actually happened. Because I I, I love my parents. I think my parents did a fabulous job in so many ways. But what I what I learned recognized about my situation and my experience was is my sexual template and what was going on with me should not be shared. It should be tucked away and should be hidden. Yeah. So so just just a shame response. It was the shame game. Yeah, just the shame game. Just the you you know you're and let's call it the four faulty core beliefs of an addict. One of them being, if people truly knew me and knew what I was up to, they wouldn't love me and they wouldn't accept me. Mm, yeah. And number two is, is I'm a bad or unworthy person. Um, number three being, if I don't have this part of me, the sexual template, it's not going to be okay. So I'm conflicted. I'm conflicted. Okay. So, you know, I just went through it and, and Cameron, please feel free to ask questions about the rest of my story. I won't go into a whole bunch of it, just the parts, because we could spend four hours on it, but I'll tell you this part. Yeah. And we're not, we're not the Joe Rogan podcast. So (laughs) (laughs) I appreciate that. So, you know, I'll just tell you that um, what that did is it led to a life of me hiding, creating duplicity in my life of being one way, putting a mask on and showing up. And people did, they viewed me as like the nice, kind, wonderful just nice guy, just really nice, like avoid a conflict, just love people. And then there was this part of me also that was was going to do whatever I wanted from a sexual template standpoint that I wired for. And I was curious. So, you know, it, it led to me, you know, it led to a lot of pornography, a lot of masturbation before my mission, you know, on my mission, um, after my mission uh, and just hiding from all of it. And to eventually, because I had literally no boundaries to acting outside of my marriage with other people, you know, pornography, I mean, uh, uh, anything from acting outside of my marriage with people that I worked with to massage parlors, escort services, trip clubs. Like I'm telling you, it was just a long, tedious journey of this endless pit that I could fill with my sexual template because yeah. I, I was so ashamed of what I was doing, but I was committed to the process of never telling anybody. And I hated it. I hated it. I hated it. I didn't want any of it, but I saw no way but to hold these secrets near and dear and just go to hell later than to share and lose my relationships with people. So, or, or even like you're standing, like you're, you're standing in the church. You're yeah. I I, I totally get that. You, you have this secret part of yourself that, um, and, and I love that you pointed out the, the four, the four core beliefs of addicts Uh there, dude, that was spot on to everything that I felt when I was going through all this stuff as a teenager and everything that was happening. Yeah. Um, you know, as soon as I tell anyone about this and, and I, I talked to plenty of bishops about it and, but you know, it was always just like, okay, well, let's have you not take the sacrament for a few weeks. Uh, don't, don't do it again. And uh, then we'll move on. And, 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 and it just kept repeating because nothing was ever done to actually change anything. It was just like, Hey, um, and again, not blaming, uh, because we, we can't blame other people for our mistakes. We can't, we can't say like, well, it was because of the way they raised me or because of the way they handled this situation. Um, but to, uh, to then also like, like I, I was a really outgoing, smiley, friendly, like loving guy that got along with just about everyone. And, and I, I, I tried to be with the popular kids. I, I, tr- I mean, I, I wanted everyone's love. 
And I did whatever I had to, I said whatever I had to in order to gain their approval. And at the same time, what they didn't know about me was what was going on in my secret life or uh, as, as you call it in, on my, my sexual template. So I, I love that you pointed that out. Um, as far as, so like, where did you hit your rock bottom? Like what, I mean, you said you did the massage parlors, escort services. Like, I mean, I mean that's, that's some really heavy stuff. So where was the bottom? Like, where did it get to a point that you're like, okay, I did, this has to be the end. I, I got to change. I think I had a situation like a million times. Like, I think I had the literally, like, I can't believe that just happened. So like falling down the cliff, you hit a, you hit a rock and you're like, oh, that's the bottom. And then you roll off and hit another rock and, yeah, and it just, just keeps going and going and going. Yeah. Cause the, the thing with this is it's just a, uh, you know, it's a cocktail, a mixture of, of chemicals inside of your brain that allow you to, or not allow you, whatever I want to say with this, it, it makes it so you can't process a human anymore. You're behaving in animalistic ways. Yeah. You're only getting what you're driven for. Like, you know what your goal is and that's what you go and get. So I, my brain was turned off and I do things that I swore I would never, ever do again, basically. And I had a lot of shame for that because I was like, you're intrinsically broken, Luke. Like you're so effed up that you just, you know, whatever. So what I'd have a million of those rock bottoms. The biggest ones were just the, the, the two times, the, the two times I got caught. Okay. Okay. Times I got caught, I only got caught twice. One of them, um, I got caught and uh, I shared the pornography part, um, but I didn't share the acting out with other people part. Okay. Um, and then the, 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 the next time I got caught years later, that was when life was going horrible. A job wasn't good. Marriage wasn't going good. I was just miserable. And my wife asked me a question. She said, I know you're back into pornography. Um, I can take anything, but I can't take the lies. And have you ever cheated on me? So I kind of felt like she already has enough suspicion and I was so exhausted from all the lies and I really wanted connection with God. Yeah. And I was just like, I was like, whatever. I'm just like, I just kind of said, uh, okay, she might know, she might not know. So I'm just, I'm out. I'm like, I'm just going to share with her. And, and I just jumped off of that cliff into that cold water. And by the way, I only shared like a third of it. I just shared all the big, big stuff thinking, okay, she'll hate my guts for a few months and she'll divorce me or she will stay and then we'll go back to our lives. Not even close to true, by the way, so, <laughs> okay. so not even close to true. Right. So that was the rock bottom. I mean, I had a bunch of other things that happened inside of there that we could talk about crazy, crazy stories. Like, you know, like anyway, uh, I kind of want to go there, but don't want to know how you want to spend the time. So. No. And, and uh, no, I, I think there, there may be uh, there. I don't know maybe this is foreshadowing a little bit, but maybe there's a future for, for us to expand on these stories and, and what we've been through and, uh, and help other people. What's that? This is why I hesitate and I get stuck on sharing the stuff y'all is because Cameron, what goes through my head is, is I remember going to a group, a 12 step group, hanging out the meeting after the meeting, hanging around and talking to the guys. I remember sharing during my share, during the meeting saying, Hey, I went to massage parlors. And this other guy after the meeting goes, I thought I was the only guy that did that. That was LDS. Like he was legit, like sure that he was the only LDS guy that went to a massage parlor. And it was a big deal to him that I shared the ugly part. Yeah. And there's this part where I want to share the details because whoever's listening, I'm like, well, you know, you didn't invent any of this stuff. This isn't, <laughs> this isn't, this is an app. This is 
a crazy intense behavior, but you're not alone. Yeah. Like you're, the stuff that you've done, that you've done, um, you're not walking this journey alone. You're not the, you're not intrinsically broken. Um, this, your, your choices aren't you, they don't define you. So anyway, yeah. that's why I kind of wanted to go there a little bit. Yeah, no, no, no. Well, and, and what I love about that is that has been kind of a recurring theme uh, on this season is that you are not identified by the mistakes that you make. Um, you know, someone, the whole idea of like, once a cheater, always a cheater. I, I hate that. Um, because it is, it's so false, you know, once an alcohol, an alcoholic, always an alcoholic. That's not true. There are a ton, there are tons of people that have these amazing success, success stories. So yeah. Um, and that's just another one of the lies that, that our negative self-talk that Satan, that, uh, even the world will tell us, you know, I mean, it's portrayed in Hollywood regularly on movies, you know, of, of infidelity, of alcoholism, of, of doing drugs and, and almost, um, glorifying it and making it seem like an okay thing to do. So. Yeah. Can I jump in on that? Please do. So we go to my wife and I go and speak to different types of events. And one of them is what they call a fifth Sunday uh, experience. And we'll go talk to a Bishop. And one of the things, some bishops are a little nervous about when we tell them this, some bishops are like, great. We say, we like to normalize the problem. Okay. Yeah. We like to normalize what's going on, not condone it. Right not rationalize it or minimize it, but normalize it, you know, because we're all sitting around in our little silos. Like I remember talking to a buddy one time, we we're going through real conversation with an IHOP and we're, just, and I'm just looking around the room. I'm like, okay. So first of all, in this life, pain is inevitable. Pain is inevitable, but suffering is optional. Hmm. Pain is inevitable, but suffering is optional. And what that means to me is we're all going to experience pain. It's the question is, is what do we do with that pain and how much time do we spend in it alone? That's the suffering. That's the suffering. Yeah. Um, so the pain is is always going to be a part of my process. It'll always be a part of my future. But the suffering is that that's the that's done the stuff done in isolation. Yeah. And 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 I love the idea of of normalizing that. Um, I mean, how hard is it for? I mean, I know it was for me as a teenager, but how hard is it for teenagers to say some, to even say the word masturbation or pornography? It makes them super uncomfortable. They cringe about it. And, and it's because of that very aspect of like, well, you know, th these are hush hush things that we don't talk about. And um, I was actually just talking to on, on Halloween, I was talking to my father-in-law about how we talk about pornography at the dinner table. We, we talk about where it comes up. We talk about what my kids have seen and, and it's, it has led to um, sitting at their bed at the end of the night and saying, is there anything you want to talk about? And them saying, well, yeah, this thing came up on my computer at school and I'm really nervous that I'm going to get in trouble for it. And we're like, okay, you know, like we, we can, we can approach that. We can handle that. There's no, and, and my kids are starting to learn, like, it's okay to talk about these things um, and that there's no being in trouble or punishment involved with experiencing pain, experiencing sin, experiencing fault. Like, we're not going to punish our kids for that. That's not our, that's not our job. So I, I love that. I love that you brought that up. Yeah. Um, so as far as, so you, you kind of had multiple rock bottoms, um, did things, I mean, obviously I, I know that they got better, but how did things get better for you? What did you have to do to turn all, turn that all around? Um, so I was, I believe I'm, I'm not in a perverted way, but I believe I was one of the sickest of the sick. Okay. Um, from needing the most help. So I got really, really intense help. So I knew that I was in trouble. I was really worried about my marriage. So I'm like, okay, somebody tell me 
like what you do. I'm going to do it all. Yeah. Like I was just, I was just in, um, scared to death. Like, um, it was really hard to spend the kind of money that I was spending to get help, but ready to do it all. So I found a CSAT therapist. Um, okay. I found a couple different types of groups, a 12 step group, men and Moroni group. Uh, I found some really good, what I, what some of the world and recover world call sponsors, you yeah. know, which is somebody that's farther along in the journey that I am that I can go to and just be real with. So I found all that, you know, and, and read a ton, listened to a ton. And I would just say it was kind of like, um, kind of like the sun coming up for the next like four, four and a half years. Like nothing, everything was gradual. There was no, like all of a sudden feeling like I figured stuff out. Yeah. Um, I'm level with you. I'm like eight years into this and I'm just still, I mean, I'm, I've still experienced pain like from, from my sexual template. Um, I still experience ref having to look at what my behavior is and going like, and sometimes it's, sometimes it's, I'm still sober. Okay. But sometimes it's, I don't want to look at it. I don't want to be real with it. So I'd rather just do go back in old patterns, pretend like I'm not acknowledging certain things. Yeah. Um, you know, but that's, that's a part of the process, but I would just say the the sun came up slowly over four and a half years for me. And there was evolutions to it. Yeah. You know, there, was, there was immediate, immediately there was separation in our relationship, which followed coming back together, which followed full disclosures, which followed, um, you know, uh, change in frequency with therapists and therapist type. Um, so just overall, probably not answering the question, Cameron. No, 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 you are. And, and, what you just said right there is something I, I want to emphasize for just a second. The, the amount of work that goes into recovering a, a relationship um, is it's astounding. And it is probably the hardest process I think a person can go through because not, not, I mean, recovering yourself is one thing that, that is a huge battle, but to then also learn what triggers, what boundaries, what, what issues, what, um, where, where the, the trust is and where it isn't and, uh, how to communicate more effectively, how to not be selfish, how to pay attention to others' needs while still trying to work on yourself. It is a complete, and, and I love that you use the word evolution, that, you know, that sun coming up over your, over four and a half years was an evolutionary process. It's the same thing with a relationship that it is completely evolutionary to, I mean, I have never been more appreciative or closer to, or more in love with my wife than, than I am now. And I, I know a lot of people say like, oh, I, I learned to love them more every single day. And, and while I while I agree with that, like there's I don't know, there's there's something deeper about recovering a marriage. I, I, I did this post probably two years ago, two and a half years ago of the I took a picture of the first time my wife held my hand oh. after after two and a half years, three years. Yeah. Of of uh, separation, whether it was out of the house or in-house separation. First time first time she held my hand. And uh, the shockwave that went through my soul in that moment, I had never experienced intimacy so deep and profound as I did when she took my hand. And then, and then it happened all over again. The first time she surprised me with a small little peck on the lips. 
like that, that to me, I was like, hold on. I wasn't ready. Can I have it? And like, <laughs> and she just started laughing and it was like, I was seeing her genuine smile and her genuine happiness for the first time in years. And those moments are, are things that, you know, like we miss as we get lost in career and the minutia of life and everything that we're doing on a day-to-day -day basis, especially when, when we're, when we're an addict, we never see or are able to pay attention to the happiness of others. And can we talk a little bit about why it takes so long to heal a relationship? Please do. Yeah. I'm just thinking about this and, and bear with me here for a second. The reason why it takes so long is we have to heal the individual before we can heal the relationship mm -hmm. and not completely heal, just get the healing process started and some, some foundational things in. And like, uh, this is the example that I used to, to demonstrate this so people can grasp it. If that part doesn't make sense, which is okay. So a man can never, ever, ever, um, create safety in his relationship again, unless he can be comfortable with his own feelings. Okay. Mm. With shame, with all that stuff. Okay. Amen. So, so now what happens right away is he's like, okay, I just want to be comfortable with whatever she's feeling. I just want to be okay with it. But they're like, it's like fire. It's like danger, whatever she's feeling. He hates it. He doesn't know what to do with it. <laughs> yeah. It's kind of like this. Have you ever, have you ever been around somebody who's raising a toddler and they do this, they go like, maybe let's say they're playing in a sandbox and the one toddler smacks the other toddler with some toy, the other toddler starts to cry. And the, the toddler that hurt the other toddler goes, they go, see, look, you made them cry. Like they're hurting in attempt to teach the toddler, like, Hey, like that's not okay. Like right. the interesting thing is, is in human development, they can't even grasp that at all. And the reason is, is because they actually have, they actually have to learn those emotions by feeling them themselves before they can see them in other people and the impact. So it's the same concept. So what you do with that toddler is you go in order for them to understand what that happened is that you have to, the toddler has to be experiencing an emotion and you go to the toddler, you go, what are you feeling? What's going on? What are you noticing? And then you describe it as sadness or anger or frustration. And then they get, they see it in them. And then when they see somebody else go through it, they go, Oh, that's what they're feeling. Yeah. So we can never, ever see somebody else's feelings and be able to handle them. We can't understand our own. So what happens is, as men will betray their wife, their wife will be enter now into fight, fight or freeze into trauma. And they'll try to repair the marriage and fix their wives. And I'm like, well, you first have to understand your own emotions before you can hold up for your wife. Yeah. So they have to go through this process, this arduous process of, when they've spent their whole entire life protecting themselves from feelings that they don't like, they have to go through the process of learning to value emotions and feelings. And I remember sitting in a 12 step group with a man who came in and he's like, he must've known that feelings were supposed to be a part of the deal. Cause you remember him sobbing going, I hate feeling. I don't want to feel. I hate it. <laughs> and I'm just like, I'm like, dude, I want to cry with you. Yeah. Uh, me too. Like me too. I don't want to feel it. And that's why I've been using porn this whole time and masturbating is because I don't want to feel it. It numbs me out. Yeah. It numbs me out. So there's no even chance at all in a relationship healing. Now there's damage control you can do. Okay. You can not hurt somebody more by getting some things. You have to understand. They have to understand their own emotions first before they can ever even. And that's a significant amount of time before a relationship can uh, before a person can do that, before they can even start to work on the relationship. 
Yeah, I, I I remember living in Vegas. I was a little over a year into my recovery, doing pretty well, being very open and honest. And I remember getting in a disagreement with my wife. We were just in home separated at that time. And so um so I I I spoke out of emotion and ended up hurting her feelings. And so I was like, you know what? I don't see myself as in the wrong here. I still deserve to be able to express the fact that my feelings were hurt. And I wrote out this letter and I, I then uh, gave her this letter and it made things so much worse. And so I was like, why, why am I not being validated? Like why, why am, what is so wrong with this? And so I sent it to Cody and he wrote me back and he said, do you hear the selfishness and the arrogance in that letter. Do you hear the kind of damage it like this sounds like the old you? Is this what you really think? And it took that outside perspective. So, like, um, to to show just how much I still had to learn. And so, yeah, when you talk about how we can be in recovery and be pretty far along in the process, but still have so much to learn, it really, I mean, this is it's a lifetime thing that For we sure. are, yeah. Um Okay. So I, I know we're getting kind of short on time. So I just wanted to, uh, to ask you real quick, as far as where you are now, uh, I mean, how are you and your wife? What, what are you doing with your life now that has filled that hole, that emptiness that you used to fill with, um, all the acting out? Well, I'll tell you what my goals are okay. and what I'm attempting to accomplish all the time. Okay. Right which is letting my wife feel what she feels and not, and not trying to change it. Okay. So if she's mad at me, if she's happy with me, if she's whatever it is, that's her emotions. That's her feelings. Um, she gets to be where she's at and I get to, if I choose show up and be there with her in those emotions without attempting to change them. Mm. Okay. That's yeah. my goal okay. is being there with those emotions and allowing her to be asking a lot of questions being empathetic, being humble, whatever it might be. You know, typically the stuff that we're talking about is how my behavior has impacted her and me trying not to focus on the intent of what I actually meant to do versus what actually happened. So that's what I'm just really working on. You know, it's what okay. I've, what I think I'll always be working on in my marriage is doing that same stuff. You know, here's the deal. Like, um, we are um, trust. Uh, I mean, the, it it makes no sense at all why trust should actually be even possible based upon my rap sheet. Yeah. And yeah. She, she learned how to trust me again. And she learned that because I showed up over and over and over and over again, did not push her, did not rush her to trust again. And she did a lot of really, really hard work. So she could even trust again. Yeah. So, you know, that's, that's where we're at and just constantly filling our lives with stuff like this and, and being real with other people. Awesome. I love that. Just like repeat behavior can break trust. Repeat behavior can build trust. Yeah. Um, my, uh, my father-in-law asked me one day we were out on a family walk and, uh, and he asked me, he's like, uh, this question came up in, in my ward the other day. And I want to, I want to know what your thoughts are, Cameron and Katie. He said, uh, what are the two most important things in a healthy marriage? And uh, it didn't take me long to, to come up with the answer. But I was like, uh, I would say 
safety and trust or, or trust and confidence, you know, like, like those, those two pillars, you know, it's, it's not, it's not the intimacy. It's not the love languages. It's not like how it's, do they feel safe in that relationship with you? And can they trust you to always be honest with them? And those two things will be the foundation of what builds all. I mean, those are the roots to what the tree of all the other things like intimacy and happiness and a good dating life and, and every and good communication. It's all, it's all based on kind of those. And I, I know there's probably other people out there like, well, what, what about communication? What about that? And yes, those, those things are all great too. Um, but I, I don't know. So I, I would just ask you as a last little question, what would you say probably the foundational roots of, um, of recovery of yourself and of a relationship would be? Yeah, I would say just trust. I, I completely agree. Yeah. You know, foundationally to learn to, um, re- relationally, just that trust, um, that honesty, which builds trust, um, yeah, the honesty that builds trust and foundationally with me that it's um, being uh, being grounded in that I am good and my choices. How did you say it? My choices don't define me. What did you say? Yeah, that you're not you're not defined by. Yeah, yeah exactly that. But my value is it cannot be changed. Like there's no choice that I can make that can change my value. And Mm, yeah, I like that. And, uh, it's kind of hard to understand. Like I get, if you're listening to this and you're like, you are weird because that makes no sense at all. And the reason why, because we feel worthless when we mess up, we're like, Oh, like I'm, I'm less loved now because I've made a mistake or because I've sinned. Well, what it is, is people that don't believe that concept that I intrinsically, I have value. It's because they place value outside of themselves. Okay. So they go my status, my job, my social relationships, my, my shoot, my relationship with God. Okay. My sobriety. If I don't have these things, it means that I'm not okay. I'm not good. Right. And I'm like, no, you're good without all those. Okay. And I really recognize people with the God part that can be a really hard thing to notice. But, um, once we recognize that we're good and that we have value, no matter what, um, there's some really, really beautiful things that happen. And that's not pride, um, by the way, to recognize that we're intrinsically good and have value no matter what our choices are. And that's why we ask men all the time, why are you awesome? Exactly. <laughs> because it's okay to recognize how awesome you are because that's how Heavenly Father sees you. Yeah. He sees you for your worth and your and and the good things that you're doing in your life. Um, Luke powerful man way to way to cap it off and and finish it with with some with a powerful statement so thank you for that thank you for joining me and uh hopefully i can uh maybe get you on the show again sometime in the future or uh i don't know maybe maybe collab with you a little bit on on the next season so awesome thank you so much uh everyone for joining us and listening um if uh Luke, do you want to, do you want to plug anything as far as, uh, how people could reach out to you if they have any questions for you or, um, no, I don't think so. Feel free to reach out. Um, so I'm, my wife and I founded a company called choose recovery services. Okay. Um, so they have, we have a lot of resources there to help people. It's choose recovery services only exist with professionals that have been through the pain. So you don't get to be a part of choose recovery services unless you actually walk the journey and, and have, and have, 
got some level of healing and and also got training in the in the area of expertise. Amazing. Um, I'm also very involved with life changing services, which is Metamoroni Sunday Helaman. Uh, there's a lot of resources out there. I don't believe that Choose is built for everybody. I don't believe Metamoroni is built for any of everybody. Yeah. So just uh, if you you know you got an amazing person you listen to here every week. Here what I, here's what I want to comment on Cameron with, and then he can edit this out if he wants. <laughs> okay. I've watched. I'm not joking. I've watched thousands of people come through the, through just rub shoulders with. So what I've noticed about you, Cameron is, is you are very, very tenacious. So you're listening to somebody that is very tenacious and fights really, really hard for what he believes in. Um, I believe that you are an amazing, like me, flawed individual that is working really hard to, to better yourself. So, you know, those are the people I want to surround myself people with. So there's a lot of people like you and others out there that provide a lot of help. Um, but if you're doing it by yourself, don't stop, stop. Yeah. So, yeah. Awesome. Thank you. Thanks for that endorsement. Thanks for being an amazing guy and amazing mentor back in my past. And, uh, I really appreciate you. Um, all right, everyone, thanks for joining the show and, uh, look forward to coming back to you again next week. This has been Recovering You with Cameron and Luke. Thanks. Remember, your story is unique and can make a huge difference in the lives of others. If you feel the desire to share your story on Recovering You, please don't hesitate to reach out to me at recoveryu2 at gmail.com with the number two. Or you can find us on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash recoveringyoupodcast. That's facebook.com forward slash recoveringyoupodcast. podcast.